everybody. Uh, what an honor to be introduced by the one and only Taylor Bell. Um, T-Bell, T-Busy, all of that. Um, good to see you all as well. Usually I'm stuck in the sound booth, um, kind of watching from the back. So today I stuck Sam there. Um, so it's good to be in front of you. Um, let's go ahead and skip this slide because that's too much of my face. Um, okay, so a little bit about me just in case you haven't met me yet. Would love to meet all of you if you ever want to grab lunch, talk, get to know one another. Reach out. Um, this is my family. Um, so that's my sister Cameron and my brother Charlie. Um, good group. They're watching. So I figured I had to give them a shout out or I'd get in trouble. And then there's my parents in the middle, of course. Um, super cute group. Um, so yeah, that's enough about me. But we're going to kind of we're going to stick in really one verse of scripture today, but we're going to try and go through like a thousand years worth of history, right? So I don't want to waste too much time, um, but this is kind of the theme, right, is God's faithfulness, who he is, who scripture says he is, um, is greater than my forgetfulness, right? So this is kind of the thread we're going to pull on today, um, and we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. might be one of those where you kind of need to go to the table of contents, figure out where we are and what we're working with, um, but Nehemiah wasn't... Um, at this point in time, when he begins to write this book, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a prince, like a lot of the other kind of Old Testament authors. Um, he was a servant, right, for the king um, in this location in Persia, right? So he was a cupbearer for the king, right? So he was working kind of in the palace. Um, I know, don't know that you would call him lowly, right? But he wasn't of this elevated position. He wasn't, you know, ruling the whole land at this point in time when he starts to write the book. But Nehemiah gets a blessing from both the king, who he's working for, essentially, and from God to go and rebuild the walls, uh, the city walls of Jerusalem, right? So Jerusalem was this city where all of God's people, they lived together, they worshiped together, they worked together, they did all these things, um, right? And so eventually, though, the city kind of was taken captive, right? And so this sort of enemy group came in. Um, and took over, and so you can imagine the city's broken down, it's in disarray, um, it's no longer where it was meant to be, how God had ordered it to be, um, and how the Israelites were supposed to be kind of living in community, right? And so people are scattered all around, um, and so Nehemiah leads this massive effort, right, to rebuild the walls of this city. So he's going to rebuild this fortress around Jerusalem, um, all the gates, and it's miles and miles worth of huge walls and gates and just ornate kind of carpentry, right? So Nehemiah, in just 52 days, uh, one of the greatest stories in the Bible of leadership, kind of orchestrates the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls, okay? And so you can imagine that that's been done, right? They've rebuilt the walls, the city is safe and secure, and now the next thing to do is to bring all of the Israelites back into the city, right? And so as we lead up to chapter 9, which is where we'll be, um, about 50,000 of the Israelites who were in exile have come back into the city, right? So you can imagine all these people have been displaced for about 70 years at this point. Um, so think back, like, if 1950, right, we had to leave the city and we're just coming back right now, how much we would have forgotten about what we were kind of living in, the situation, um, and everything going on, right? So, so we're in chapter 9 here, and we're going to hone in on Nehemiah 9, verse 17, right? So just to kind of set the scene there, um, all these people have come back into the city, and the Levites are kind of a group of servants in the temple, right? So the Levites have all the Israelites in front of them, and they say, hey, we're going to reteach you what God has done. We're going to show you the history of our people, how God has worked um, in us. And so they're trying to raise up this next generation of leaders and fathers um, and people who are going to teach the truth and the history of the Israelite nation so that they can never forget the work um, that God has done. Okay, so... That's kind of just the baseline to get you up to speed about where we are at this point. Um, 
I figure you all are going to do enough sitting and I'm going to do enough talking for the next 20 minutes or two hours, whatever it turns into. Um, so if everybody could stand with me and we'll kind of read the scripture together and then we'll get into it. Um, so yeah, I'll kind of start us off, but if y'all can join in, it'd be much better to hear you guys speaking than more of me. Um, so we're going to see here in Nehemiah 9, 17, it talks about they. So they is the Israelite ancestors, right? So all these people that have come hundreds of years before those that the Levites are now speaking to, right? So their grandfathers, their great-great-grandparents, all these people hundreds of years back, right? So um, I'm going to start off here at the top, and then you guys kind of just chime in and do the reading for me, right? So Nehemiah 9.17 says, They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. You did not abandon them. Awesome. This is the word of God. Um, dear God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this group, um, for these people in this room. Thank you for just the opportunity to stand before them. God, I pray that even though it is me who's up on this stage and might have you know, a mic clipped onto my shirt, I pray that they hear your voice today, um, that I can just be a mouthpiece for the word of God, that we can all kind of grow in our understanding of it, um, and that we can walk away not just having one more lesson kind of in our arsenal to carry throughout the week, but to truly understand how we can walk through your word, live it out each and every day. Um, please just uh, give me peace as I share with this group here. Um, and like I said, do the speaking for me um, so that there's nothing I can do to um, let you or this audience down. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so you all can get seated. Um, the, the top of this verse, right, talks about they did not remember your wonders. So I talked about how right here in this passage, right, the Levites are kind of teaching not just what's going on in Israel right now, but they're trying to recap about a thousand years of history, right? And so um, if you can remember, I don't know if anybody's seen kind of, uh, what's the movie called? Prince of Egypt, maybe? Things like this where, yeah, good one, okay. Um, so yeah, so that was about a thousand years before this, right? When the Israelites were freed from their slavery in Egypt, okay? And then now we're at Nehemiah, but in between, there's all these different wonders and miracles that God's done. So we're going to try and set the scene for this by playing a little game. Um, yay. Uh, so we're going to call it real or real, right? Is it a true historical account that we find in scripture, or is it just a pop culture kind of movie plot line? So how this is going to work is I'm going to give you a terribly paraphrased version of some passage in scripture, right, some wonder or miracle that God's worked, um, or maybe it's just going to be me kind of giving you the summary of a recent fictitious film, okay, and so what I want you to do is stand if you think that this story comes from scripture, okay, if it's true, if it's real, R-E-A-L, um, and if not, just stay seated and we'll deal with that however we will. So, uh, quick disclaimer, some of the pictures are not necessarily representative of the answers, so don't depend too much on that. Okay, um, number one, right? So we've got these two armies, right? And they're fighting. One has a massive giant of a man who keeps taunting the other people, right? And so there's this young guy on the other side, right? The other army that really isn't supposed to be fighting, but he comes to the battlefield, right? And he takes out this giant dude um, with a stone. Uh, how could that possibly happen? If this is truth in the Bible, stand, okay? Cool. Seems like we're on the same page. Uh, I'm going to call out Brock because that's my guy. What is this? What's this from? What are we talking about? Yeah, sweet. David versus Goliath. Awesome. Brock, there we go. Okay. Uh, yeah, so 1 Samuel 17. You guys can sit down. Uh, we kind of get this account of David versus Goliath. 
and God working this wonder, this miracle um, for the Israelite people against the Philistines. Okay, uh, next one. So we have this story of a guy who is stuck on a deserted island, right? He finds this, this dead body, this corpse, right on the beach, um, and even though he thinks life is over, things are done, it ends up doing miraculous things um, and actually becomes his key to survival, essentially. Um, anyone recognize this from Scripture? Uh, Okay, good. Nobody stood up. That's awesome. Uh, does anybody know what this picture is from? I kind of cheated and actually it's from the movie. Yeah, Swiss Army Man. Okay, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, don't waste the two hours of your life. It's one of the weirdest films you'll ever watch. Um, yeah, so good. Not in the Bible, okay? Fictitious, completely made up. Um, here we go. Next one. So uh, we have this people, right, who need to conquer this fortified city, right? But the city is surrounded by these walls that they can't really break down. And so they come up with this plan. They're given this idea to march around the city, right, every day for a week, okay? And eventually, on the last day of this week of marching around the city, the walls just fall down. People run in, conquer the city, um, and they kind of win that victory there. If this is truth kind of found in the Bible, if this is a real story, historical account, you can stand. Oh, man, you guys are good. You guys are good. Um, uh, Somebody new, or I could pick on Brock again. No, um... Uh, whew, Kylie, I'm looking at you. No, sorry. Um, Emmy, I see you. Okay. Emmy, what are we looking at here? Jericho. Jericho. Yeah, right? So walls of Jericho. So God works this miracle again. Wonders that he does for the people. Joshua 6, we find this passage. Okay. And so there we go. Okay. Uh, next one. Next one. Okay. <clears throat> um, thousands of people kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere, right? They're hungry. They're looking for food. Um, and they're running out of food, they're crying out, they're complaining, they're doing all this stuff, and suddenly, every day, they wake up in the morning, and food is just falling out of the sky, and they are fed as much as they could possibly wish to be fed. Um, true story, found in the Bible, historical account. Stay seated if you think it's a movie. Oh, finally. Some people are kind of doing one of these. Okay. Um, uh, Spencer? Yeah, manna from heaven, right? Cool. Certainly that's what everybody's standing for. Okay, awesome. A little bit of a trick question there. It's kind of roughly also the plot line for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. But um, this is a true story, right? In Exodus 16, um, the people are in the wilderness. They're looking for food, and God provides for them, right? So why are we going through all of this, okay? Each of these is an example of God doing some incredible things for the Israelites to save and sustain them, right? If we witnessed any of these things today, right, if you came out of your apartment every morning and there was just like ribeye and rolls and food on the ground for you to eat, uh, I don't think that's something you would like forget by the end of the day, probably wouldn't forget 100 years later. And yet, right, when we jump into Nehemiah 9:17, we see that the people are forgetting what God has done for them, right? So if we jump back to the verse, right, um, it says they refused to listen, did not remember your wonders that you performed among them, right? And so, so here's why we're going to go through, like I said, we're kind of going to jump through a thousand years worth of history today, right? This is not just a one-time thing for the nation of Israel, right? So like I said, they kind of came out of Egypt a thousand years before Nehemiah's rebuilt the wall, right? And so there's this constant cycle, right, all the time for the nation of Israel of God blessing them, right? So he provides them food from heaven, for example, in Exodus um, like we were talking about. And then kind of, you know, the people are thankful, they're grateful for a little bit, and then soon enough they kind of start to forget what God's done, right? They find a reason to complain, uh, they get a little discontent, and they kind of grow away from God, try to do their own thing, okay? And then all of a sudden, 
things don't go so well as they're trying to do their own thing, and eventually they kind of cry out to God again, say, God, can you help us? And God's like, steps in, right, blesses them. Soon enough, they forget again. And the cycle keeps and keeps going for hundreds of years, right? And so, yes, here's an example that we've gone through in this little game and exercise, but recognize that this is a repetitive cycle um, for Israel. And even today, for us, right? That's kind of the theme that I want you all to walk away with, is God blesses us, works wonders in our lives, and over time, we start to forget these things, and we think that it changes who God is, but it really doesn't, right? So, this verse continues, um, they refused to listen, did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt, okay? Uh, so, first, we'll kind of jump at this stiff-necked, because a bunch of you are probably like, what in the world is that talking about? Um, anybody in here on the equestrian team? Is Daniel here? There we go. Are you the only one? Any other equestrian people? Anybody else? Okay, sweet. So, imagine, and I'm kind of talking to my man Daniel, uh, you have this horse, right, who's stiff-necked in the sense that they won't kind of let you guide them with the reins, right? They're stubborn, immovable, uh, they don't want to kind of go where you're trying to push them to go. And so that's kind of the analogy that's being made here, whether it's with horse or an ox or whatever, um, is this idea of not being subject to the direction of whoever it is that's guiding you, right? Um, and so this verse goes on to say, they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt, right? So this is, again, a reference back to Exodus, right? So the Levites are pointing to the history of Israel hundreds of years ago, and they're saying uh, less than 40 years after they were freed from slavery, the people are complaining again, and they're saying, you know what? I don't really like this wandering. I don't like the waiting. I would rather go back to Egypt, right, where they were held in bondage, you know, they were treated as second-rate people, um, they were subject to slavery and work and hard labor and all of these things, uh, but yet, just a couple of years after being freed from all that, they're suddenly wishing they could be back there instead of trusting what God's working out for them, right? And so, as we think on this, it's like kind of insane, right? Like, how could you wish to go back to that? Why would you want to return to that kind of situation? And yet, so much in our lives, we kind of do the same thing, whether it's on that scale of trying to literally migrate back to a new place or an old place, um, or if it's just trying to follow our kind of plans rather than God's design and timing. You know, we see this when we look in Scripture and maybe God tells us, you know, you need to be level-headed, be patient, but in our interactions, we want to get angry with people, right? Uh, the Bible talks about honesty, right? And yet, sometimes we kind of, oh, you know, I'd rather kind of lie and get through this this way right now. Um, talks about obedience in scripture, and yet sometimes, you know, maybe I want to disobey. Maybe I want to do my own thing and go away from what God would have me to do, right? And so, in the same way that kind of the Israelites tried to raise up their own idols because they didn't want to wait on God's plan and timing to lead them into this amazing promised land, um, we kind of do the same things, right? Whether it's whatever we have going on in our life that kind of takes our time and our attention, those become idols for us, and we turn to them rather than trusting in what God's plan is, right? And so if we kind of continually try to reject God and push away and do our own thing, um, if the Israelites did that time and time again for hundreds of years, why, you might ask, doesn't God just let it happen? Why doesn't he abandon us completely and say, you know, you can do your own thing, you can go your own way. Um, I know that it's kind of frustrating to wait on me, so just leave. We can go our separate ways, right? The simple answer is it's not who God is, right? Um, so if 
Aiden, right, was uh, a wide receiver, and I'm saying, Aiden, why? Aiden's not a wide receiver, let's make that clear. Uh, if I was saying, why aren't you out there defending uh, the guys on the other side? He would say, that's not who I am, right? That's not my position. That's not what I'm defined to do. Um, in the same way, right, God isn't capable of abandoning his people, right? So as we continue in verse 17, luckily it doesn't end with the people forgetting and trying to go their own way, right? So as we read, as you all read, um, it goes on to say, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them, right? So God's character goes beyond our ability to forget what he's done for us, right? It goes beyond our ability to wish for something outside of what he has planned for us, um, and so here in this passage, the Levites are trying to remind the people of who God is, right, and who God proclaimed himself to be, okay? And so uh, this is kind of once again pointing back to Exodus, right? Like I said, this whole thing is about remembering what God has said over time, right? God is not changing, even as the Israelites are trying to run away, change, and continually do their own thing, right? And so we're going to kind of look back at where this verse comes from, right? So um, in Exodus, right, Chapter 34, um, verses 5 through 6, right? So this is actually the passage of Scripture that is most quoted by other Scripture in the Old Testament, right? And so it's Jesus, uh, sorry, it's God in Exodus um, who then carries this through even to the New Testament. We see God proclaiming himself, uh, Jesus speaking to himself in the same kind of character. Um, but here we have the Lord physically uh, appearing to Moses, right, as Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments. And this is how the Lord describes himself, right? Um, so it says, The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him, Moses, there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, right? Um, so here's the thing, right? There's so many different... Scriptures we can point to and try to say, you know, this embodies who God is, right? Or maybe this story over here um, that kind of epitomizes God's wrath. That's who he is in its totality, right? Or maybe we see this story later on um, that makes us feel a different way about God. And we kind of say, well, that's who he is to me, right? I think we need to come back to who did the Lord define himself to be, right? Who did he proclaim himself to be? And throughout the Old Testament, over 27 times, we see authors repeat this about who God's personality is, right? And so uh, if we can just kind of dig into a few of the things here, right? Uh, the Lord is compassionate, right? What does that mean? It means he's deeply concerned with how we're doing, right? How we're feeling, how we're living, what's going on in the lives of his creation, right? Uh, the Lord is gracious. What is gracious? Uh, he gives us provisions that we don't deserve, right? The people complaining in the wilderness probably didn't deserve food, right? Uh, if somebody's complaining to me and just every day kind of nagging and nagging and nagging, God really should have, could have, maybe we would have just kind of let them die there in the wilderness so that they could shut up and stop just complaining after we'd already given them all these things, right? But that's not who God is either, right? It says the Lord is a gracious God, right? He gives them things that maybe they don't deserve. Um, slow to anger, right? God is patient when we deserve immediate judgment, right? Even when we've done things wrong, uh, and same kind of situation, right? God is all-powerful, you know. If I lie one time when I was six years old, he could have just struck me dead right then, right? But God is slow to anger, right? He wants to see his people return to him, and so he's gracious in that way too. Uh, abounding in faithful love, right? This goes back to the idea that we've been talking about, that God doesn't change, right? And his capacity to love us, to care for us, 
is unbounded in nature, right? There's no limit to how far God can reach to love us, right? And so all of these things kind of tie together to create this idea of who God is, right? And so um, the important thing is that this word faithful, right? I kind of at the beginning said God's faithfulness is greater than our forgetfulness or my forgetfulness. Um, So faithfulness kind of gets at this idea that God's person isn't changing throughout Scripture, right? Who he says he is is who he was, who he is now, and who he always will be, right? And so um, I think we have a, here we go, right? So uh, if we jump into Psalms, right, like I said, this passage and this description of who God is is kind of referenced all throughout Scripture. Um, And so this is a Psalm of David, right, where he is praying um, to God, and he's calling on this same uh, kind of description, right? He says, be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life, because I appeal to you, Lord. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cries for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress, for you will answer me, right? So if David, right, could pray this to God in Psalms, in his circumstance, we can do the same thing today, right? Um, For those of you who kind of are part of football Bible study, see a bunch of faces, which is awesome. Um, We have this thing every Thursday, Pizza with Jesus. It's like the best time of the week, right, Luna? There we go. Uh, So we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, scripture is profitable for reproof, right? This idea that we can reprove God over and over, right? If who he is is who he said he is and was and will be, then we can cry out just like David did and say, God, prove yourself again in this way, right? Show me that you're able to forgive. Show me that you're kind, right? So all these things we can keep on going back to time and time again. Um, And so, uh, yes, if we jump back to Exodus and kind of how God has defined himself, right? What is God really saying, right? When he he says all these things about himself, he's compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger. Um, God is saying, you know, as much as we may try to do our own thing. Um, He cares for us so much that as much as we can try to do those things, God's not going to change who he is as a response to who we want to be or who we might see him as in any instance, right? Um, God is compassionate. He's gracious, right? We can run 100 miles in any direction that we want, trying to get away from God, and yet he's still going to stay right who he always was, right? We can run away from him. He's not going to run away from us. Um, We can forget everything that God has done for us time and time again, kind of like the Israelites have done. And yet God won't forget the moment when he first created us, when he first loved us, who he designed us to be, um, and all these things that God has really put in his vision of who we are to him, right? So as much as we can try to run and avoid and do all these things, um, God stays the same, right? So I think one of the cool things to realize is that the Bible tells us everything that we need to know about the creator of the universe, right? We need to understand who God is, both in terms of his character, right, and just the magnitude of his person, right? And so God's given us scripture. He gave the Israelites scripture, and the Levites are teaching the Israelites scripture again for two reasons, um, as far as I've kind of broken it down as simply as I can, right? There's two reasons God's given us scripture. One of them is so that we can know who God is, right? So verses like this, the whole Bible, um, in each and every story and account um, and passage, right? God is telling us who he is, right? The second reason God's given us scripture is so that we can understand who he has created us to be, right? And so, uh, like I said, God's word doesn't change. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we can look back on our lives and we can see how he's kind of walked us through all these different moments, right? Where his faithfulness has been evident. Um, 
and, and when we see instances of compassion, right, and grace um, and forgiveness, you know, we can point to God and say, that's where that came from, right, because that's who he is, right, and that's the really cool thing. Um, so I think the next time, you know, when we're maybe frustrated with God's plans or timing um, in an instant, right, it's easy to kind of turn to our own strength and who we may um, want to depend on, right, but it's important, unlike the Israelites did time and time after again, to, to look back and say, well, what has God done, right? Where's the evidence of who he is and the wonders he's done and can do again, right? So, um, where are we? There we go, right? So at the end of here, it says, and you did not abandon them, right? So as much as the Israelites tried to run away from God, as much as we may try to do our own thing, God is incapable of abandoning his creation, right? He wants to extend his character to us. He wants us to understand, flourish in, and take hold of the true fullness of his character, right? And so to do that, we have to be willing to trust him, right? We have to submit to who he is and what his plans are in our lives, okay? And even when we may forget the wonders that God has done for us, right? When we're stiff-necked, right? When we're stubborn and kind of don't want to be guided any kind of way, when we're... um, all these things that the Israelites were, right, when we're forgetful, um, even in those instances, God has not abandoned us, right? And so kind of the, the main thing that I kind of want you all to understand and take away, right, is dive into God's word. Understand who he is, right, and who he's created us to be. Um, and, and it's kind of this idea of, like, I could come up here and I could, you know, give each of you a fish and feed you for a day, you know, a whole adage, right? But if we can learn how to understand God's word, right, and how to dive into it for ourselves and to understand and take captive who he is, right, then we can live that out every day. and We can take hold um, and experience his forgiveness, his grace, his compassion, his patience, his love on a daily basis, right? Um, so that's kind of my word to you. Um, and I think that's what God wants to tell us through this passage, right, is to not forget who he is, right, and to realize that God's person is greater than our forgetfulness and our ability to continually fail to remember what he's done for us, right? So, so learn who God is, learn who he created you to be, um, and when you can do that, um, you'll experience the fullness of his forgiveness, his grace, his compassion, his patience, his love, and his wonder as we begin to follow him and step into the truth um, that we can find in his word, right? And so um, I hope that um, this isn't, you know, the end of a message for you, right, but that you'll go and explore God's word and continue to learn who he is um, in all those kinds of ways, right? So I think Elijah's going to maybe come back up, um, and I'll pray us out um, of this kind of segment, um, but we'll continue to worship um, and go forward in that way, right? So, dear God, thank you, thank you, thank you once again um, for this opportunity, for this group of people who are receptive to hear your word, um, to hear from you. Um, God, thank you for scripture. Thank you for the Bible um, to tell us who you are, um, to tell us who you've always been, um, and to tell us who you'll continue to be. Um, God, thank you that the Bible also tells us who you've created us to be um, and gives us a pathway to unlock all of the um, opportunity that you have in store for us in our lives. God, help us to truly live out um, and continue to learn and grow in wisdom of who we should be and who you are. Um, God, I thank you for the students in this room, um, for all the others who may be here tonight. I pray that you um, just give us wisdom to understand your scripture. Um, 
I think spending time in Bible study in small groups, um, <laughs> we've learned recently uh, that there's certain parts of your word that may be difficult to understand, right? But, but that's not what you intended it to be, right? Sometimes it just takes a little more prayer um, to break down what you're saying to us. So God, continue to give us wisdom, understanding as we read your word, as we worship you, um, spend time with you. Um, God, just thank you for this night um, and for all that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.